Thank you for listening to Changed by His Word, a podcast of Pine Level Missionary Baptist Church featuring the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We invite you to join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. for worship. For more information, visit us online at pinelevelmbc.org. And now for today's message. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 20, the Bible says, And he came home and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, He has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sin shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And here's the key in verse 30. Because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Have you ever carefully considered the things that you've said to Jesus? Well, what about the things you've said about Jesus? How about the things that you have thought about Jesus? Or maybe even the things that you have done to Jesus? You see, unlike you and me, the scribes and the Pharisees physically saw Jesus Christ. They laid their eyes on his eyes. They met face to face. They heard him teach. They heard him preach. They were in arm's reach as he performed a countless number of miracles, and they watched him cast out demons from those who were possessed. Yet I wonder if these questions ever crossed their minds. The things that they said, the things that they thought, and the things that they did. Over the past few weeks, as we've been journeying through Mark's gospel, we've seen the scribes and the Pharisees' attitude towards Jesus. You see, they've questioned his authority. They've condemned him for eating with tax collectors and sinners. They've charged him with violating the law by working on the Sabbath. And here we see them say something to Jesus that, uh, that's unlike anything we've yet to see. And Jesus issues here in this text a stern, harsh warning with horrific, devastating, eternal consequences to them and to anyone that's guilty of the unforgivable sin. That's the title of my message this morning, The Unforgivable Sin. And the next, for the next few moments, I want to share just three truths that we learned from this text that I hope will encourage and challenge you. The first is this, if you're taking notes. I want you to see the desires of the heart, the desires of the heart. Now, Jesus is back in Capernaum, and remember, Capernaum is his home base. A number of years ago, when we traveled to Israel, as we entered Capernaum, there was a big sign hanging out front that said, Capernaum, the town of Jesus. Why was that the case? Because Jesus spent a lot of time in Capernaum. This was his uh, mission base. This was his mission sending headquarters, and Jesus is now back home. He's gathered 
that we believe at Peter's house, which again, as I've mentioned before, is just a rock's throw to the Sea of Galilee, just a rock's throw to the synagogue, and he's gathered back at this place, and there's still a great crowd that's gathered around him. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that it was so crowded, they couldn't even eat. Now imagine that, if you will. That's pretty crowded, isn't it? I mean, some of us would get upset if we couldn't eat, amen? So they were gathered around for a meal and they couldn't eat. And some of Jesus' own family heard what was taking place and they tried to intervene. And it appears as though they had good intentions from the outset. But notice what the Bible says that they said in verse 21. Speaking of Jesus, his own family said, he's lost his senses. He's lost his senses. Now keep in mind, this is, their, this is his own family. So what does that mean? Well, John MacArthur describes it this way. The phrase, lost his senses, translates, listen to this, to lose one's mind, to be beside oneself, to be insane. So that's the type of things they, his own family, were saying about Jesus. Now in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, we learn that Jesus had other siblings. Mark 6, 3 says, is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us. So Jesus had several half-brothers and sisters as well. And personally, it seems as though they cared for his well-being. Yet it wasn't until after the resurrection that they put their trust and faith in Jesus. So while Jesus was walking on earth, they did not yet recognize him as Messiah and Lord. But I want you to think not just about their outward appearance this morning. Most importantly, I want you to think about the deep recesses of their heart. And you have to consider their desires. And what I want you to see is this, apart from a relationship with Jesus, what are the desires and intents of the heart? Well, the Bible is very clear concerning that. In Jeremiah 17, 9, the Bible says that the heart is more deceitful than anything else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I'm sure you've heard the saying that I've heard before. Well, you know Doodle Johnny over there, he's just a good old boy. No, he's not. Not according to what the Bible says. Now, I know what folks mean lots of times when they say that, but we're looking at this from a biblical perspective. I want you to think for just a moment about your own desires. How many times do you say, think, or do something that afterwards you say, man, I, hope sure, I sure hope nobody finds out about this. I don't want anybody to know what it is that I'm thinking. And I thought for the longest time, hear me loud and clear this morning, I thought for the longest time, as long as I thought something and didn't act on it, there was no problem with that. But that's not what the Bible says, and I'll show you why. The Bible says this, thinking about murder, for example. Most of us would say, well, you know, I've never committed murder before. Well, I mean, that's good, amen. I mean, it's good not to murder. I mean, we know folks in the Bible that, that committed murder. We know David did and Paul did and others did as well. But Jesus said, you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, you fool, listen to this, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? 
You say, I've never committed adultery. Well, what did Jesus say concerning that? You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust in her heart, in his heart, has already committed adultery. And the same applies to women as well. If you look lustfully at another man or a woman, you've already committed, according to Jesus, adultery in your heart. So we've got to recognize the severe consequences of sin. Now, this is just uh, not just a New Testament issue, but it goes all the way back to the beginning concerning the heart and the, the wickedness of the heart. All the way back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And listen to this, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the heart of man apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we don't like to think that way. We like to naturally think that everybody that's born is good. But don't you think about your children for a minute. And I know you love your children and I love mine. But how many of you have to teach your children to lie? I mean, you watch them do something and you say, now, little Johnny, did you do that? And you sat right there and watched it with your own eyes, amen? But he's a good little boy. You've got to keep that in mind. So apart from Jesus, naturally our, evil, our desires are evil. And just like the folks we see in the text before us, we've got to recognize the same thing as well. This was Jesus' own family that we're talking about. I mean, they were the closest ones to him physically. They were even closer to him than his disciples that he just called. They lived with him, and they saw him, and they watched him. Yet, they were apart from him spiritually. They were apart from him spiritually. So I want you to notice first the desires of the human heart. But notice secondly, I want you to see the charge against Jesus. We find this in verses 22 through 27. So the scribes levied another charge against Jesus. And this was perhaps the greatest. I mean, they were eyewitnesses to what Jesus had done firsthand. They had seen him do what no mortal man could do. And instead of falling at the feet of Jesus and recognizing him as Lord and Savior, this is what they said. Look at the text. They said, he is possessed by Beelzebul. So the natural question to ask is, who on earth is Beelzebul, right? I mean, I'm sure you're probably asking that, and I'm glad you are, because I'm going to share with you who he is. So in the Old Testament, there was a group by the name of the Canaanites, and they worshipped a false god named Baal. Now, Baal means Lord of the Heights. And one writer explains that Baal was a fertility god who was believed to enable the earth to produce crops and people to produce children. So not only did the Canaanites worship Baal, some of the Israelites were led astray. They turned from God and they began to worship Baal as well. But there was a prophet by the name of Elijah. Y'all heard of Elijah, right? I had the opportunity in Israel to, to, to go to the top of Mount Carmel. And it was there at Mount Carmel that Elijah encountered the prophets of Baal. And this man of God stood against these false prophets. Prophets, and the Bible says that the fire of the Lord fell down and consumed the burnt offering. 
These individuals were seized, the prophets of Baal, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and they slew them there. Standing on top of Mount Carmel, I was able to see that brook down at the bottom there. But the man of God, Elisha, he didn't fall prey to Baal or to any other false god. No, he stood firm on the Lord and his promises. So that was Baal, but what about Beelzebul? Well, according to another writer, the word has a two-part meaning. Baal, as I just described, and then you have Zebul, which means exalted dwelling. So listen to this. Putting the two words together, they form the name for Satan himself, the prince of demons. So then the charge against Jesus was that he cast out demons because he was empowered by Satan. That's a serious charge. That's what they were saying about Jesus. Now, I don't know of any charge any stronger than the one before us this morning. And it's crucial that you hear and heed the words that I've shared from the pulpit time and time and time again. Anytime there's a charge, anytime there's an accusation, anytime there's an issue that needs to be resolved, what do we do? You've got to run that issue through the Word of God and see how it comes out on the other side. Amen? We've got to do that with every issue in life. And the Bible teaches the complete opposite of what these individuals were proclaiming. You read verses in the New Testament that say the Spirit drove Jesus or the Spirit led Jesus. I love how John MacArthur describes this. Listen carefully, and I quote, he says that Jesus is the model of the Spirit-controlled life. He's the model of the Spirit-filled life. He's the model of the Spirit-empowered life. He shows us what that is in its perfection. The Holy Spirit was Christ's inseparable companion. Then he goes on to say that one writer says, From womb to tomb to throne, all activities in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, from his birth, through his death, through his resurrection until his ascension, occurred in the full presence, listen to this, and by the full power of the Holy Spirit. Who empowered Jesus? The Holy Spirit did. And these individuals, the scribes and the Pharisees, are saying that Jesus is possessed and controlled by a demon. Now that's a serious charge. So what does Jesus say and how does Jesus respond to these individuals? Well, he shares a parable beginning in verse 23. Look at your Bibles, if you will. We know that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And listen to what Jesus says to these folks beginning in verse 23. And he called them to himself and began to speak to them in parables. And this is what he said. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself... That house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. And then he says, but no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. So Satan can't cast out Satan. Satan's kingdom is not divided. I mean, he wants to gather everybody to be a part of his kingdom. Amen? He's trying to deceive people. Jesus said that he's a liar. And those who follow him will end up spending eternity separated from 
God in a place the Bible calls hell. So Satan's not divided against himself. He wants to build up his kingdom. And then in verse 27, we learn that Satan is the strong man that Jesus speaks of. Hey, don't think for a moment that you're more powerful than Satan in your own strength and power. There's a lot of folks that think that today. I can take care of the devil. You know what the devil will do to you in and of your own strength? He'll bite you up and chew you up and spit you out and leave you right there to die in your sin. That's what the devil will do to you. Paul said this concerning the devil, concerning Satan. He said that he's the prince of the power of the air. Jesus said of Satan that he's the prince of this world. We're talking about Satan. But I love what Mark goes on to say here in this parable concerning the strong man. Did you know there's one stronger than Satan? I'm thankful for that this morning. That's a good place to say amen. There's one stronger than Satan. And this strong man, that Satan in the text, the one that's stronger is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I've read the end of the book. I've read the final pages. I know that in the end we win. I know that Jesus is no longer in a tomb, that he arose from the grave victorious, that he's our intercessor right now, that he's at the Father's right hand, that he empowers us to do the work that he's called us to do. Satan's days are numbered, and his time is coming to an end. So first we see the desires of the human heart. Secondly, the charge against Jesus. But I want you to notice third and finally, the calamity of those who commit this sin, the unforgivable sin. We find this in verses 28 through 30. Now listen to Jesus and what he says in verse 28. He says, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. So with that said, we have to ask the question, what is sin? Well, we know that sin is anything that we say, think, or do that's displeasing to God. And the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes you. That includes me. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. So what you and I get as a result of our sin against the holy righteous God is not only physical death, but eternal separation from God. But did you know that that's not God's desire for anybody? It's not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why the Bible says in Romans 5.8 that while we were yet sinners, I love this, Christ died for us. And in Romans 6.23, yes, the wages of sin is death, but listen to me. Praise God, the gift of God is eternal life through a person named Jesus Christ. And then the Bible says if you'll repent of your sins, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And when you repent of your sins and you trust Jesus with your life, you recognize him for who he is, you receive him, recognize what he has done and what he is doing. It's then and only then that God willingly and totally forgives you of your sin. Hey, if you're looking to me this morning to forgive you of your sins, I'm sorry, I can't do it. 
If you're looking for a high priest to go to here on earth that can forgive you of your sins, stop looking. They can't do it. There's only one high priest. There's only one person that's able to forgive you of your sins, and that is King Jesus. The Bible says that he cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that he cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. Anybody ever been to the bottom of the sea? Your sins are down there. Because he's cast them to the bottom of the sea. The Bible says that God will remember your sins no more. Not that he cannot remember. Not that he's forgotten. But that he chooses to remember them no more. Praise God. Amen. That's good news this morning. But what about this sin that Jesus mentions in verse 29? Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, listen, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. So what is this sin? What is blasphemy of or against the Holy Spirit? Well, look again at verse 30, if you will. Because they were saying of Jesus that he has an unclean spirit. I love the way the, the NLT renders this verse. It says that he's possessed by an evil spirit. So they said that Jesus was possessed by Satan himself. Kevin DeYoung explains the unforgivable sin so well that I want to share with you this morning what he says. And I quote, he says that blasphemy of the spirit is to attribute the spirit-empowered Spirit-anointed work of Jesus to the work of Satan. He says it's a conscious, clear, consistent repudiation of Christ by those who should know better. Conscious meaning not ignorance. Clear meaning not to doubt or struggle. Repudiation meaning to reject with disapproval and condemnation. So blasphemy of the Spirit is to reject Christ and deny His work comes from God. That is blasphemy of the Spirit. Now I began my sermon by asking a few questions. Have you carefully considered the things that you've said to Jesus? The things you've said about Jesus? The things that you've thought about Jesus? The things that you have done to Jesus. Perhaps you're listening this morning or, or watching online and you are worried that you've committed this sin, the eternal, unforgivable sin. Well, I've got good news for you this morning. I love what Dr. Danny Aiken says, and I quote, he says, this is a sin not committed by one who is concerned that they may have committed it, end of quote. If you're troubled this morning and concerned as to whether or not you've committed this sin, there's a great chance that you've not committed it. The text doesn't necessarily say that the scribes and the Pharisees have committed this sin, and I don't know if they've committed it or not. If they had not yet committed the sin, I know that they were right on the verge based on the things that we've read and studied in Mark's Gospel thus far. But we've got to keep in mind at the same time that only God knows the heart. Only God knows your heart. I can look at your outward appearance. 
I can look at your deeds and I can say, well, you know, that person professes Christ as Savior, but I don't know the deep recesses of your heart. Only God knows that. And here Jesus gives this stern, harsh warning that everyone must heed. Now listen to how the young summarizes this. And I quote, he says, the sin is not so much a particular act or a mere declaration as it is a disposition of the will. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is unforgivable because those who commit the sin, here we go, never come to Christ for forgiveness, end of quote. And it's this disposition of the will and this unforgivable sin of not coming to Jesus that results in the calamity and the eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. So to attribute the Spirit-empowered and Spirit-anointed work of Jesus to the work of Satan and reject Jesus Christ, that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So with that said, I would ask you a simple question. Where do you stand this morning? Where do you stand in regards to your relationship with Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to Him? Are you living for Him right now? Are you concerned that you may have committed this sin? The good news is you can go before the Lord as we pray in just a moment and say, Lord, forgive me, whatever that sin may be. And I would have you know this morning, and I'm so thankful that God's arms are still outstretched, that God is still calling sinners to Himself. God is still showing us grace and showing us mercy. And the Bible says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? You've been listening to Changed by His Word, the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We hope that you have been encouraged and challenged by this message. If you have any questions about the message or about your relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact Pastor Brad at changedbyhisword at gmail.com. Thank you and God bless.